All right, hey, go ahead and take a seat, uh, if, or you can stand. Whatever you want to do, you know what I mean? You be you. Um, you know, I was just thinking about how beautiful of a day this is, uh, and it, it, it hit me during worship. I was just praying. I was like, God, thank you that we get to live here, uh, having church outside under palm trees overlooking the water. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that. And it, But then I thought right away, but there's so many of our friends in the Texas area, we are talking about this before service, that are going through some pretty horrific times right now, pretty bad times. Not to mention our friends around the world and in different areas that are having uh, challenges as well. And it made me realize that my experience uh, is not the experience of everybody. And the reason, reason why I say that is you may find yourself right now having a great day. I mean, your life's good. Uh, you're, you're feeling good emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You're feeling good. Uh, but that may not be the experience of people that you know. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, two are better than one, for if one falls, the other can help them up. But then it says, pity the one, like Mr. T is, it says, pity the one who falls, yet has no one to help them. And so I just think if you're feeling, in a, you're in a position of strength right now, you're feeling good, that man, would you take a moment just to pray? And says, man, is there someone that I can support, lift up, encourage uh, right now? Because man, you know, when you're down, when I'm down, I really want someone there to encourage me. So want to challenge you to do that and even just take a few moments and just say, God, you know, is there someone that you would want me uh, to transfer some of my strength, transfer some of my courage, like encourage, like literally put courage into uh, somebody. Uh, you can be the voice of God to somebody today. Uh, well, hey, we're in the last week of Love Handles, uh, three-week series about relationships. What the pandemic has done, this pandemic has obviously brought with it quarantine. And what quarantine has brought with it many times is it's revealed, uh, it's added tensions, and it's revealed maybe some weak spots in our relationships. All right, and you may experience that in your friendships with your uh, employees or employer, with your spouse, with your family. Uh, it doesn't uh, make weaknesses happen, I think, in relationships. It just reveals relationships. So we have taken the last few weeks to talk about relationships of all different kinds. And we're going to cap that off uh, today. The first week was all about becoming the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. Are you the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for? Last week, uh, Eric did a great job. One of our elders, Eric, did a great job talking about it's not you, it's you. And he talked about the idea that there are parts of reconciliation that are your responsibility, and there's parts that are not. What are your responsibility to do? But we as a church, as the global church, need to be people who reconcile. That if any, if any group of people is known for reconciliation and forgiveness, it should be the church. But too often the church is known for the place of gossip and dissension, which is just so sad. It's not who we're called to be. If you've missed those teachings for whatever reason, I challenge you to go back, watch them on YouTube or Facebook or on the podcast. Today we're going to focus on one word. One word that will make or break any relationship in our lives. Any relationship. This one word will make the difference whether you have a marriage or you feel like roommates. It will make the difference of whether you have life-giving relationships or you have life draining relationships. This one word makes a difference whether you have active relationships or passive relationships. And that word is love. Love. And here, here's the hard part. I know the moment I say that, some of us, especially if we go to church for any amount of time, uh, will check out. Go, oh, love, I, I got the t-shirt, I saw the bumper sticker, right? I, I've already got this one. And I think what we need to do is we need to reframe what this word means. Because other languages, like the original languages of the Bible, have different words for different kinds of love. We have one word for love. 
So I love God. I love you. I love deep dish pizza, right? Skyler, worship intern, loves the Dodgers. JP, our worship pastor, loves any movie with Nicolas Cage. Like, these are all the same word love, right? But they mean very different things. And too often, this is the big idea, too often, this word love in our context is based on feeling. It's based on feeling. That love is something you feel. We talk about falling in love. We talk about this like serendipitous idea of feeling in love. But the Bible never speaks of it that way. What the Bible talks about is not feeling in love. What the Bible talks about is behaving in love, acting in love. It's a fundamentally different thing. See, love is not a feeling. It's a verb. And it's more than that. It's a command. And it's a command that goes against what we feel many times. So we, a lot of times, we grew up going, you know, being taught, follow your heart. But the problem is, my heart wants to be selfish many times. My heart doesn't want to forgive. My heart doesn't want to let them off the hook. My heart has me at the center of the universe so many times. So it is wrong to follow your heart all the time. A lot of times what God asks us to do, and we're going to dive into this, goes against what you feel. So what Jesus did is Jesus repeated the Old Testament teaching of love your neighbor, but then he took it further. He didn't just say love your neighbor. He said love your enemy. Love your enemy. So clearly Jesus was talking about something totally different than what we define as love. So we'll, we'll, we'll say things like, um, I can't help it. I've fallen out of love. Or Jesus would say, that person that annoys you, that a person that offended you, love them. Love them. Why? Why? And here's the thing, just so we're, we're clear, we have to give balancing statements. We're only clear, we're not talking about abusive situations. Okay? This is outside of that. We're talking about is when someone offended you, you don't cancel them. You don't write them out of your life. Jesus says, love your enemy as a choice. Because, why we talk about this in context of relationships? Because strong relationships are not built on strong emotions. Strong relationships are not built on strong feelings. Strong relationships are built on strong decisions. Strong actions. See, falling in love is easy. A puppy can do it. Middle schoolers can do it. All it requires is a pulse. Staying in love requires action. Love has to be a verb. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 7. Jesus says this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Golden rule, right? Those of you guys who grew up in a Christian household, you probably had this repeated to you as a child, right? Forgive your brother or sister, hug it out, do unto others you have to do unto you. Golden rule, right? Then he says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets, the reason why I was trying to reframe what we're going to talk about today is because I know for those that grow up in church, again, we can feel like we check out on these moments. and we're, we, we want, like, deeper truths. We're like, okay, Taco, we, 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 I know about love. I learned that in Sunday school. Can we just move on and talk about something deeper? As a church, we don't get too deep. I don't know how to say it any other way. We stick to the fundamentals as a church. It's almost like if I fail a class, my 101 class, 
And I'm like, yeah, prof, we've already talked about that. Let's go to 201 and 301. But he's like, you don't know 101 yet. So before we get to the later stuff, why don't you do 101 well? And, I, and as Christians, especially as church people, we can, we can feel like just because we heard something means we're living it. And that's not true. So we're going to go back to the fundamentals, to the fundamentals. It pains me to tell the story that we're going to dive into today because it's about the Green Bay Packers. And everybody knows that my favorite team and Jesus's is the Chicago Bears. Not because they win a whole lot. Like we've, had, we've never really had a quarterback uh, that can throw the ball to our receivers uh, most of the time. Uh, but the Green Bay Packers are one of those teams, especially in, in the Lombardi era, is almost like um, the 90s Bulls. Right? Whether you like the Bulls or you don't, you have to respect the three-peat. Right? So in 1961... 38 members were on the Green Bay Packer team. And they were gathered together for the first day of training camp. It's a true story. July 1961. The year before, they had just lost the Super Bowl to the Eagles, of all people. The Eagles, right? They were devastated by it. So Lombardi, what does he do? Lombardi pulls his team together, and he grabs a football. And he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Gentlemen, this is a football. I mean, this is comical to think about. These are guys that grew up playing football. They were like those little peewee uh, football players. The helmets were bigger than their body, right? They were playing football as long as they can remember. They've, they've smelled like football their entire lives. They were minutes away the year before from being the best team in the world. They'd been playing since they could barely walk. And Lombardi literally goes... Guys, this is a football. And then what he did for the rest of training camp in the preseason, do you know what he did? He walked them through, guys, this is how you stand. Literally. Guys, this is how you stand. Guys, this is how you tackle. This is how you block. These are guys that are the best in the world. Max McGee, some of you guys may know that name if you're a um, not a Christian and you're a Packers fan, uh, but Max McGee was one of their Pro Bowl wide receivers. Amazing receiver, actually. Um, and he, at one point, is quoted as saying, he goes, uh, Coach, can you slow down a little? You're going a little too fast for us. And as the story goes, Lombardi cracked a smile, and he kept going over the basics. And at first, the team rolled their eyes and was like, you got to be kidding me. You're teaching me how to stand you're teaching me how to block. But Lombardi kept on focusing on the fundamentals. What happened? Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0. to 37-0. to zero. In the next seven years, they won five Super Bowls. Three of them in a row. Lombardi never coached a team with a losing record. Why? Fundamentals fundamentals. So we teach a lot of fundamentals here. You know why? Because Jesus taught a lot of fundamentals. And, you know, we're taking a break from our Luke series. We're hopping back into it next week. And what, you'll, what you're finding as we're going through the gospel of Luke and Jesus' teaching is he teaches the same thing over and over and over again, right? 
He doesn't preach really topically. He really goes over the same ideas over and over and over again. So Jesus taught the fundamentals. Paul taught the fundamentals. Peter taught the fundamentals. James taught the fundamentals. They were all pretty basic. And what they were saying is, focus on these before you go to the quote-unquote deeper truths. So Jesus goes on. He says, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The problem is we don't live like that. What we do, what we live many times is instead of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we believe do unto others as they do unto you. Do unto others as they actually do unto you. Well, they did this to me. I'm going to do that back to them. Or do unto others as they deserve to be done unto you know what they did? You think I'm going to forgive them? You think I'm going to take, you're going to pray for them? Really? I'm going to do unto others as they deserve to be done unto. And I decide what they deserve to be done unto. Or we believe, do unto others so you can get them to do what you want them to do. Sometimes we do this and we call it leadership. Right? Do unto others. And if I do the right things, say the right things, give them the right things, then I can get them to do what I want them to do. You know what that's called? Manipulation. Do unto others as uh, you, so you can get them to do what you want them to do. Or, in the context of relationships, do unto others until you are ready to do unto somebody else. Right? This whole series, this whole series has come back to the central idea that you are responsible for who? You. You're responsible for you. That if you focus on you, you won't have time to blame. So, when we have relationships that are based on a personal responsibility to love, then what happens is we don't have an expectation, right? Sorry, let me say that again. When we, have, when we have relationships not based on personal responsibility to love, but instead an expectation. So when we have respons- uh, relationships based on not a personal responsibility to love them, but an expectation for them to love me the way I want to be loved, Instead of responsibility, it's expectation placed on others. The only result of those relationships is blame. You understand that? When I don't have a personal responsibility to love you, and instead I focus on my expectations I place on you to love me the way I want you to love me, the only result is blame. The only result is I'm not going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on all the ways that you're falling short. I'm going to focus on all the ways that my boss isn't leading me right. My employees aren't serving me right. My spouse isn't loving me the way I want to be loved. My kids, my parents, my neighbors, they're, they're all not meeting my expectations. And the only result of that is always blame. So the question, the question is relates to blame. How many relationships, how many relationships have you made better through blame? How many relationships have you ever, relationship problems have you ever resolved through blame? For those of us that focus on putting expectations on others and then blaming them when they don't follow through, I'm going to ask you what I, you know, I've asked you many times before. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? See, Jesus had a different way. What he said in John chapter 13 is a new command I give you. Love one another. A new command I give you. Love one another. He didn't give a command to his followers to feel something. He didn't say, I can, a new command I give you. Wait till you feel in love to do something. He said, no, no, love one another. If you look at the verb tense, it's actually the imperative form of the verb. He commanded them to go do something. He didn't command them to feel something. He commanded them to go do something. And then he says, 
So he started with a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So he gives them a new idea. In other words, do unto others not what you, only what you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as I have done unto you. Do unto others what I have done unto you. Why would he ask us to love like this? Why would he ask us to love like this? Because if we just love people the way they love us, that love is conditional. What happens is we play the role of monitor of do they deserve love or not, so I'll love them accordingly. But if we love people the way he loves us, then the person's actions are inconsequential. I'm not doing as you have done unto me. I'm doing as Christ has done unto me. And Paul practically addresses this. This, this idea of like a Hollywood storybook idea of love, happily ever after kind of love. And he, he addresses it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. And he says this, when I was a child, I spoke in thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke and acted like a child, but I put away childish things. The verb for put away is not translated outgrew. Some of us read that as outgrew. The actual translation for that verb directly is abolished, set aside, wiped out. In other words, he intentionally determined to put away childish attitudes. The thing is, all of us have childish attitudes about relationships. All of us have childish attitudes about love. And uh, some of you guys may be thinking, but doesn't the Bible say that we should be childlike? Yes. But you know there's a very big difference between being childish and childlike. And what Paul is saying is I put childish things beside me. So what are some childish attitudes around love? One of them is we all live happily ever after, easily. We all live happily ever after, easily. And anyone who's ever been in a relationship Dating, we in high school we used to call it steady back in the 90s. I don't know what that even meant, going steady with somebody. But dating or engaged or married, you know full well. There's nothing about happily ever after easily. You know what I want to see? This is like not on the notes at all. And my phone may overheat too, and I don't know what we're going to do at that point. We're going to do Q&A. Um, but <laughs> what I want to see is I want to see the uh, the, like, Cinderella story, like the Disney princess story, like 20 years later. Like where Prince Charming is like leaving his socks out or he left the toilet seat up. You know what I mean? Like I want to see like Rapunzel and whoever her partner is. I can't remember any of these things. Uh, I want to see them argue. About like, no, don't, don't just tell me happily ever after going to the sunset. Walk me through what that looks like. Because so, love looks a lot like a whole lot of tough decisions on the other side of marriage. So childish idea is happily ever after happens easily. Or another childish idea is if I focus on them, they'll change to what I want. If I just focus on them enough and make sure they know exactly what I want them to do, then they'll change to what I want. Or if we have tension at all, it's a sign that they're not the right person for me. That's a childish thought. If we have tension at all, it's a sign that we have uh, you know, they're not the right person. And then surely, surely if I go on to somebody else, that will solve it. Until you have tension there, 
and then you go on to somebody else. And kind of newsflash, if you're a serial dater, the only constant variable in all your dysfunctional relationships is you. So just something to think about. Another childish idea is I trust what I feel and only do what my feelings tell me to do. Or lastly, a childish idea we're talking about today is treat others the way they treat me. So Paul says to put these childish attitudes aside. I put these childish attitudes aside. Do you know what comes before this passage? Do you know what he's talking about in context? This is like a really misquoted passage of scripture. Do you know what he's actually talking about in this passage? He's talking about love. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about a passage that many of us hear in weddings every single weekend. Just yesterday, I married, uh, some of you guys were there, was part of a wedding ceremony, married uh, Nathan and Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey serves on our, uh, she serves as video director and switcher uh, every the week. And then her now husband, uh, Nathan, runs a video camera uh, every other week. And we got to do their wedding and we read this passage that I'm about to read to you. It says this. I'm sure you've heard it if you've gone to any wedding or spent any amount of time in church. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't honor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, what we see in Scripture is that God doesn't just love as a verb, right? God actually is love. And you can tell what's inside of something when they're crushed, right? So when someone is tired, they may come out and they're angry or they're irritable. And those moments when you're tired are great times to learn more about you. People reveal themselves during difficult times, right? So what we see with Jesus is when he was crushed, literally crushed, literally taken to the edge of death and then died for us. What do we see? What comes out? Irritability? Anger? No, no, no. What do we, come, what do we see? Love. Love. So Jesus takes care of Mary and says, Mary, this is John. This is now your son. John, this is Mary. Take care of her. She's now your mother, take care of one another, love one another. He's mentoring and evangelizing to the thief next to him. Love, love. This is why you can go through that whole passage and put God's name for love. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongdoing. God always endures. The goal for us as believers, why I challenge every marriage couple that I, that I perform a wedding for, this is why I challenge them to do, is make it your goal to put your name in it. To be able to say, Natalie is patient. Aiden is kind. Right? Daniel keeps no record of wrongdoing. Raphael always endures. <laughs> this is the goal. And what happens? What happens if a worship team wants to go ahead and come up? What happens is we have a new goal, a new true north. This list in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that I put childish things behind and I focus on this kind of life. No longer a fairy tale idea of love, but love as a decision, love as a choice, love as a command. 
This is your new to-become list. More important than how often you attend church. More important than how often you serve. More important than how much you give to a church. More important than how much you serve in the community. Is how are you doing at this? Master love. I can sum it up in in an easy way. Master love. Make it your goal to master love. The way Paul describes it. And then find someone cute that has made it their, their goal to do the same. And then you're going to be all right. So I want you to think about, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It's not easily angered, never boasts. Which one of these attributes would you want your future spouse to have? Or which one of these attributes would you want your current spouse to have? Okay, I want you to think about that for a second. Now, before you point the finger, we talked about the very first week. Be the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Be the kind of person that the person you're dating it wants to be dating. You Be the kind of person the person you're married to wants to be married to. So the question is this. Which one did you pick? Be honest. Don't backtrack now. You're like, oh, I wish they didn't keep any record of doing wrong. Okay. Then make it that your goal first. That's your primary in your to-become list. Well, I wish they're more patient. Okay. That is the first thing on your to-become list. What happens? What happens is when we see this list, a few things happen to all of us. One, we get a clear list of where we need to improve. It's almost hard to put your name in the list because you're like, oh, I, I see really clearly that I'm not at this level. Second, we're well aware of where we fall short. We're well aware of where we fall short. You can read this list and go, man, I'm not patient. That's not news to you, right? But the third thing all of us feel too when we read that list is we're hoping people are patient with us. Right? Because here's a, here's a news flash. If you are easily angered, your kids know it. Your spouse knows it. Shoot, your neighbor may even know it. All right? It's not news to them. You know where you fall short, and you hope that they're going to be patient with you as you journey towards becoming more like Christ. And realize this, that that's happening in you. You're realizing where you fall short and you want patience from others towards you. But realize that this is also happening in the person next to you too. So give them the patience you want to have given to you. Give them the encouragement you would want people to give to you. Give that person the grace that you would want them to give to you. Why? Do unto others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as God has done unto you. And the message of the cross is that, is that in the middle of the darkest moments, Peter betraying, Judas betraying, what did Jesus do? I love you. I serve you. I'm here for you. I honestly believe that Judas, if he would have pursued Christ, would have been forgiven. Judas hung himself because he wanted to condemn himself, not because Jesus did. So, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to focus on your to-become list? How would that change your relationships? How would that change your marriage? How would that change your, your relationships with your spouse or your estranged brother or sister or your parents? Maybe Thanksgiving will look a little different. 
What if we focus on being people that love others as Christ loved us? What if we loved others the way we would want to be loved? What's so wild about this whole idea is this should be so obvious. If there's any group of people that should be known for love, it should be us as the church. Not us as Voice Church, but as the church. But we're not. We're not. Because I think more and more as a church, we need to come back to these fundamental conversations. These this is a football conversations. For us as a church, our this is a football conversation is love others the way God loves you. And if you haven't got that down or if you haven't worked towards that, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you want to break down the Greek and Hebrew or you want to study end times or the millennial reign of Christ. It doesn't matter if you don't love others. Because you can pursue knowledge, you can pursue biblical truth or doctrine or theology or evangelism or whatever, but if your heart isn't love, those things will actually cause pride and cockiness and judgment and anger to rise up. Done in the right spirit, evangelism and doctrine and theology and all that stuff compels people towards Christ. But without a heart of love, all that stuff repels people. I think the number one reason why people become Christians are Christians that live like this. And I think the number one reason why people don't want anything to do with church are Christians that don't act like this. And why would they want to be a part of that? So, let me pray for us. We're going to sing one last song, but I really want you to wrestle with this. really want you to wrestle with this this week. Are you the kind of person that loves others the way Christ loves you? I mean, really. I mean, really. And how can we work towards that? That is the process of spiritual growth. It'll change every relationship you have. All right, let me pray for us. God, we submit to you. God, we know on our best day, on our best day, God, we fall so short of this kind of love. God, we need your grace and your patience. We need your encouragement. God, thank you for being so patient with us. That sometimes I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm growing spiritually or I'm just getting less bad, slightly less terrible every year. God, when I compare myself to you, I see clearly where I fall short, clearly where I need the grace and patience and love of God. And I pray that, God, would you compel us, Holy Spirit, would you encourage us to do this? And would you help us to be people that give grace and patience and encouragement and space for others to grow, to try, to fail, to get up and to try again? And I pray that the vision statement of this church, that we would be a church, that lives by faith and is known by love. Not known for social media or graphics or events or music or teaching or anything else. But God, that we would be known first and foremost by love. That people would say, I don't agree with everything they, they say, but I can't argue with the fact that they love everybody with a deep, supernatural love. Help us to do that. We submit our lives to you. Use our lives to compel people to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.